What is up, everyone? My name is Jake Parley. I am the host of the Commonly Unique Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to our very first episode. Um, basically, what this podcast is about is just, you know, regular people finding out their story. I personally believe everyone has a story. Um, everybody's gone through something. Everybody's dealt with something that got them to where they are at this point in their life. So I want to hear the story. I like it. Um, <clears throat> today, it being the first episode, I figured, you know, might as well share you share with you my story. Um, basically, just going through some big things in my life. Um, I will be dealing or talking about dealing with suicide and um, basically like painkiller addiction stuff like that. So, um, just to give you a little, oops, give you a little, um, preface on that. So, yeah, basically, uh, I've grown up in Southern California, um, San Diego area all my life, and something my family and I have always been really big into is the desert. We go out, you know, a dozen times a year, uh, basically as often as we can, riding dirt bikes, quads, whatever, um, and it was always my main group was me, my dad, my brother, um, and then two of our really good friends, Anthony and Mikeish. <clears throat> and you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite stories from out there was uh, we were out at a desert called Buttercup, and we uh, we had this like set ride that we would do every time we go there. And we would ride down along the canal, and it takes you out on the back side of the dunes, and then we'd ride back to the hill, then back to camp. And so we were out there one weekend. It was an off weekend, no holiday or anything like that. And it was just me, my brother, and Mikeish, and Anthony. Uh, my dad wasn't out there yet. Um, so the four of us were out there, and this guy comes over from a camp next to us. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I'm out here with my wife and kid, and, you know, I don't really have anybody to go for a ride with, so I was wondering if next time you guys go for a ride, if I can go with you. I'm like, oh, fuck, sure, man, whatever, that's cool. Um, so, you know, a little bit later, we all started getting geared up. We went over and told the guy, hey, you know, we're getting ready to go for a ride. If you want to come, the guy's got a banshee, so we figured, you know, no problem. He can keep up with us. All good. Uh... So we all get on our bikes and we start going. And along the canal, there's a bunch of like um, tulis and ocotillos and uh, stuff like that. And there's like five or six trails that have just been cut out that are about the width of a quad. And so we all basically would take a different trail. They all kind of intertwine, right next to each other, um, swerving around all the bushes. And, you know, it's, it's a really, really fun little track thing that is there and so we get on there and we we haul ass when we ride basically we're all fairly competitive people and when we go to the desert it's just a non-stop race when we're on our bikes we are just balls to the wall hauling ass so we get on there and we just start fucking going for it and um we haul ass through all the toolies and at the end of the toolies before we get into the dunes 
uh, they all let out the same basic spot, so we all kind of group back up when we get there. And homeboy from the other camp, you know, he he was behind us, but he wasn't too far behind. He you know, he, just, he didn't know the trails like we did. We assumed, so we're like, all right, whatever. And so going through the dunes, again, we're just hauling ass. We're fourth gear easy through all the dunes, just jumping transitions and, you know, just going balls to the wall. So we are hauling ass through the dunes, and it probably takes about 20 minutes to get from camp to the end of the Thule's, and then another good half hour, 45 minutes to get through the dunes out towards the hill. And we come up on the... Uh, the western side of it and uh we usually take a break there let the bikes cool down drink a beer hang out and uh then there's these big huge bowls out of buttercup that we call the track and it's like five or six just huge bank left turn banked right turn that you can just you can max your bike out top gear through it and just haul ass on them it was awesome and so we uh we get to that spot to break and the dude, he's he's hanging with us. He's you know not falling far behind or anything. He's hanging out, getting there, and we get there, and uh, he's like, "Oh man, I haven't ridden like this in years. This is, this is crazy." I go, "Yeah, you know, you're hanging with us though, so it's all good." So you know, we we drink a beer, let the bikes cool down a little bit, hang out. Then uh, like, all right, we're gonna do the track, and then we're gonna go back to camp. He's like, all right, cool. And so, get on our bikes, get them fired up, and we just haul ass through those things and get back to camp, probably another 20-minute ride or so. So, all in all, it's hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes of riding. Um, we get back to our camps. The dude pulls off. He's, you know, camped next to us. Uh, we pull into our camp, take off all of our gear. We go over, and the dude has his gear off, and he goes inside his trailer, and... We don't see him the rest of the day. He goes into that trailer and he just passes the fuck out. Like he's he's, he's clearly totally exhausted. He he just cannot. Uh, he's just not used to that kind of riding and you know going after it like that. So uh, a couple hours later, we're getting ready to go for another ride and we walk over there and uh, his wife's sitting out front like, hey man, uh, or hey, you know, is, we're getting ready to go for another ride if your husband wants to come. And she's like, uh, no, he's been asleep since uh, since you guys got back. You guys uh, wore him out pretty good. Like, oh dang, all right. Uh, um, so that was that was a really good uh, good experience out there. And then later that night, my dad had shown up, and so we all rode to the hill. And our thing at night was go to the hill, bring a bunch of beers, hang out, drink, watch people race up and down the hill. We would race, and you know, just hang out. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the desert life, and so we uh, we were sitting up at the top of the hill, and my dad had just come back from Laughlin, and so he had a bunch of fireworks. So uh, we we're chilling up on top of the hill, and we shoot off some bottle rockets, and he busts out some Roman candles. So you know we light them, and me and James and Anthony and Mike are all shooting them at each other, and you know just just fucking around like that. Uh, he got some bigger bottle rockets that shoot off and then some mortars and all that type of stuff. So, you know, we're launching all that stuff off. We pretty much run out of everything and uh, see these couple of quads come up the hill. So we kind of move back over by our bikes and, you know, let these guys, they're not 
they're not hauling ass up the hill, so they're not racing. But we figured out oh, they're just gonna come up and you know chill on top of the hill just like we are. And so um, at this time, I'm 20 years old. My brother's 22. Same with Anthony, somewhere around there, 22, 23. And Mike is shot. He's probably like 40, but uh, he um, we're sitting there and the quads that come up, they end up being BLM or Rangers, basically. And they come like, are you guys the ones that are up here lighting off fireworks? Me and my dad looking like, well, no, not us, man. Those guys, they, they just took off. You know, we we're just chilling up here. We were just enjoying the show. And so the Rangers get off their bikes and they, uh, they shine their flashlight over on my bike. And they're like, oh, look, there's some ball rockets sticking out of his helmet. I look and I'm like, shit, I have like 20 of them sitting in my helmet. Like, ah, oh, damn it. So they they take those and they find a, a couple more Roman candles and some little things. All the big stuff we pretty much launched off. And so they see us up there and I have a can of Pepsi that was really mostly full of Jack Daniels, but you know it's just a can of Pepsi as far as they can tell. And they look at me and they're like, "How old are you?" I'm like I'm 20. You know that's why I'm drinking Pepsi. Take a little little swig of it and yeah, ooh yeah, good. <laughs> Then uh, they look at my brother, and uh, like, how are you? Uh, I'm 22. And then they shine on Anthony, same thing, 22. And they shine on Mike Kish, and he's like, oh, uh, 21. <laughs> Mind you, he definitely looks like he's in his mid 30s, if not 40s. <laughs> he's, he definitely looks old shit. Like, oh, you guys got any ID on you? Like, fuck no. We we're out here riding. We don't carry our wallet with us when we're riding. And so they, they kind of hassle us for a minute and end up confiscating our uh, fireworks. Don't write us a ticket or you know, ticket or anything like that, but they take our leftover fireworks. And um, so they uh, get back on their bikes, and they're getting ready to leave. And the dumbasses stop their quads facing uphill. So they get on the bikes, and they try and leave, and the back ends just dig in because it's soft sand that's why you always park downhill so they get buried and they hop off and they're trying to get them out and they look over at me like hey can can you uh help us get our or you know help us dig these out so we can get unstuck like can i have my fireworks back like no we we can't give you your fireworks back well then no i can't help you and they get all pissed but they end up digging them out and getting them out and taking off and so we're sitting there all fucking bummed and whatever, you know. It's, we, we didn't get ticketed, so it's whatever. We'll just uh, hang out for a minute and, you know, just go from there. And my dad hops on his quad and takes off and goes back to camp. And I go, ah, oh, shit, man. Dad must have been pissed. That, that sucks, you know. Not that big of a deal. We only have a, a handful of bottle rockets left, basically. And so we're sitting up there. Hanging out, and probably another 20 minutes or so goes by, and here goes my dad back up the hill. And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe he just went back to get some more beers or something or whatever. Comes back, <laughs> he's got twice as many fireworks as he did before, and more mortars, he's got more bottle rockets, he's got more of everything. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, dad, how much did you buy when you're out there? And so we launch him off, and we're all having a good time, and then he's like, hey, 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 all right, 
We got all other stuff out of the way. Now I got this thing. And this is, it's a box. It's probably like four by four by four. And on the side of it, it says C4 explosive. And my dad's all super excited about it. Thinking, oh man, this thing's, you know, C4. That's a plastic explosive. That's going to be a huge fucking explosion. It's going to be awesome. And he spent like $15 on just this one firework. And he's super excited for it. It's got long fuse, so we got time to get away, and you know, everything's building up to this thing being a badass thing. My dad's super giddy about it. So we walk like 50 feet away from our bikes, over on the other side of the hill, and my dad lights it, and he comes running back over by us. Fuse goes off, and we're all like hunkered down, waiting for the explosion, because we're thinking, oh, we're just gonna, you know, blow a hole in the side of this hill. It's, this is gonna be amazing. The fucking thing's a fountain. So it just sprays sparks like 20 feet in the air for a minute or two, and that's it. No explosions, no shooting stuff off and it explodes in the air, no crater in the ground, just some fucking stupid little fountain. And I remember looking over at my dad when that was happening, and just the, the sheer disappointment in his face of... How excited he was for whatever this thing was going to be, and it just ends up being that. And, yeah, he uh, he was not happy. So, we ended up, you know, it was still a good time. We just hang out, drink, went back to camp. But, yeah, it was a good time. Launched off all the fireworks, and then my dad, <laughs> the, the sheer disappointment in his face was amazing. Um. So, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that we would do out the desert. Launch of fireworks, riding our bikes. Uh, you know, just getting away from the city. And Desert's been a big part of my life. And camping, all that type of stuff. And so, getting on to more recent things in my life. Um, this was this is where it's going to get a little more, more deep, I guess you could say. Um... Oh, it was seven years ago, this time becoming presidents. So it was February 2012. Uh, at the time, I was an electrician, and I was going to a school called ABC. It's um, Associated Builders and Contractors. Basically, it's a trade school for electricians or plumbers or, you know, tin knockers, whatever trade it may be, non-union. And it wasn't far from my dad's house. So after school, I would usually go over to his house and we'd hang out, watch some TV, eat dinner, you know, whatever. Uh, school got out like seven o'clock, so um, I'd hang out for a little bit and then go home and you know just go to work the next day or whatever. It was every Tuesday and Thursday, and so the Thursday before President's Weekend, I uh, wanted to load up my bike and everything so that way. I could just leave for the desert straight from uh, work. So called my dad. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not going to come by tonight. Uh, I'm going to load up all my stuff for the desert, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, yeah, no worries. Um, so uh, Thursday after school, I go home, put my bike in my truck, all my gear, get everything loaded up. Uh, I go to work Friday. And straight from work on Friday, I go out to the desert. 
Uh, my aunt and uncle are already out there, and I think my other uncle was already out there as well. So um, I get out there, and uh, it's late Friday afternoon. Uh, my brother and Anthony are uh, with me, and um, I'm on a dirt bike. My bike doesn't have a headlight, so I can't do a night ride. So we just get out there and just kind of hang out for Friday night, you know, just drinking, doing whatever, what we usually do, eat some dinner, chilling by the campfire, all that stuff. And Saturday morning, I wake up, you know, me and my brother Anthony, we all wake up pretty much at sunrise because we're sleeping in tents or the bed of our truck or something like that, so we can't really sleep in past sunrise. It gets really bright. So <clears throat> about 7 in the morning, we wake up. And, um, we get ready to go for a ride, just me, James, and Anthony. You know, we haven't ridden yet, the whole, uh, since we got out there, so we're itching. And we always kind of wake up, just go for a quick little ride, come back, eat breakfast, then we get all together as a big group and go out for a ride. So, um, we're out of Superstition. And we ride over to Sand Dam and then up to the radio tower. We go down and we go to go across the lake bed, which is just a dry flat lake bed, so you can really get the bikes wide open on that. And so we're hauling ass. James is in the front, Anthony's in the middle, I'm in the back. I got a GoPro on my helmet, so I was trying to get video of them, but that ended up not working out. Um, but we're hauling ass down the road or the dirt road and um, I see up ahead of me this big cloud of dust about halfway through the lake bed, you know, probably 50, 60 feet in front of me, and uh, James crashed. There's uh, these little tails that come off of bushes, and it's like little sand tails, and you'll, you'll hit them a thousand times, and it's never a big deal. But this one particular time, we hit it, and... Well, James hit it, and it kicked his bike up, and he ended up flipping uh, stuff in the front end and, like, flipping over. And so Anthony stops, I stop, we're all next to him. I throw the bike on the ground, I go over and look at him because we are hauling ass, so I knew, you know, good chance he got hurt. Um, and he's just laying on his back, kind of hurting, and... We look at him, and we look at his bike, and there's no way he's going to be able to ride back to camp for sure. So um, I get on my bike. Anthony stays with my brother, and I just haul ass back to camp. Fifth gear wide open, straight back to camp. Uh, it's probably a mile, mile and a half away. And <clears throat> I pull into camp, and I basically ghost ride my bike into camp. I jump off of it, and I get my uncle who he did racing for a long time so he knows like he's not obviously an EMT or anything but he can kind of check and make sure that there's nothing too catastrophic going on and he's been around enough injuries to know how to figure that stuff out so um I grab him we hop in my brother's truck and uh we drive back out to where he's at and uh, as I was pulling into my camp on my bike, my mom and her husband had just shown up. And so I didn't tell anybody what was going on. I just said, Uncle Steve, I need you to come with me, get in the truck. We go, um, drive back out there. 
My uncle starts looking at James, checking him out. Um, Anthony and I load James's quad into the truck, get it all tied down. Uh, my uncle comes to the conclusion that it's okay for James to be moved. So we, uh, we get him up and we put him in the front seat of the truck and we start driving back to camp and every bump we hit, it's like a dagger going into James, you know, he's clearly hurt bad. So we get back to camp, drop my uncle off. My mom starts freaking out. Oh my God, what happened? Ah!" And I just don't, don't worry. You know, I'm going to take James to the hospital. You know, he, he needs to go to the hospital. He's, he's fucked up. Um, my aunt, uh, has like some Advil or, you know, whatever, et cetera, and some sort of like, um, pain medication stuff. So she gives James that and she gives James a few crackers cause we haven't eaten breakfast or anything. So he doesn't want to take those on empty stomach. So he eats some crackers and cheese, takes the pills and I just book it. We get out and I'm riding the governor of his truck the entire way back. We, uh, we get from Superstition to El Cajon in about uh, 45 minutes or an hour, which usually is about an hour and a half drive. I was going as fast as the truck would let me go. And we get to the uh, El Cajon Kaiser, and they don't have a trauma or ER there. I'm like, shit. So we get back. I get back in the truck, and we just hoss over to the Kaiser uh Kaiser on Zion and um, I pull up right out at the front I go in there I skip past the line like hey my brother was in a bad accident he really needs attention he needs like a gurney he's pretty pretty messed up and so they uh like, all right and they bring someone out and they put him on the stretcher and um take him in the back I started filling out some paperwork, and they're like, all right, you know, you can come back here if you want. All right, so I go back there, and he's laid on the bed, and, you know, he's all strapped. His clothes have been cut off. Uh, his shirt and all that's been cut off. And he's laying there. You know, they got oxygen going in his nose, and they already got an IV in his arm and all this and that. And they were just asking me questions, you know, like what happened, all that type of stuff. They wanted to see his helmet and, you know, what riding gear he had on. They one of the doctors came out and looked at his quad, um, and then uh, they're like, all right, you know, we're going to take him, we're going to do some x-rays, we're going to do this and that. Uh, it'll probably be like a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, just go back out to the waiting room, and, uh, you know, we'll come get you when uh, when we know what's going on. All right, whatever. So um, I go and I park my truck, call my mom, call my grandma, call a few people. And let them all know what's going on. And after about 10 minutes, the doctor comes back out. And he's like, or, you know, the doctor comes out. I'm like, oh, I thought you said it was going to be 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something like that. He's like, well, he actually has internal bleeding. He's ruptured his spleen and he's, you know, it's bleeding pretty badly. We don't have a trauma surgeon here. So we need to transfer him from here to um, Sharp Memorial. So I'm like, oh, fuck, all right, that's that's not really, so he's going to have to have surgery? Like, yeah, yeah, we have to go in, we have to take the spleen out, and um, 
you know, we have to do this emergency surgery right now. All right, all right, you know, fucking do it. Like, quit telling me. Like, oh, well, he's already in an ambulance. He's already going. I'm telling you so that you know where to go. All right, all right. So I uh, I get ready to go out, and right as I'm walking out, my grandma comes walking in, and so I grab her, and I just take her in my brother's truck, and we drive over to Sharp Memorial. And uh, by this time, it's probably around 11 o'clock. Um, he's in there having the surgery done. My mom shows up, um, and we're all just sitting in the waiting room. And there's this uh, guy and his wife, probably late 30s, early 40s. And um, they're sitting there, and they have riding gear on. Like, they have jersey and riding pants on. And so I walk over, and I'm like, hey, um, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, and they're like, oh, our son crashed out at Superstition and broke both his forearms. So <clears throat> he's back there having surgery. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, that's crazy. My brother crashed, blah, blah, blah. So we kind of huddled together and kind of kept each other calm. Um, I started calling other people, tried calling, like, aunts, uncles, my dad. Dad didn't answer, but figured he was on his Harley riding up to Idlewild or something. Uh, grandma, she was there with me, a few other people, uh, my brother's wife, she was at work, I told her not, don't bother coming down, because I can't do anything, you know, he's in surgery, he won't be off for a while, so we're sitting there for a little bit, and, um, uh, just kind of killing time, talking with the other people, can't get a hold of uh, my dad, or few other ones and you know it's kind of weird that I haven't heard back from these people but whatever um come like four or five o'clock at night um I'm just absolutely starving I still haven't eaten at all that day hadn't eaten since like seven o'clock the night before just fucking starving and in comes my aunt Dory with a big old bag full of jack-in-the-box tacos and I've never been so happy to eat Jack and Box tacos, which I mean they're delicious. Don't get me wrong, but I was ecstatic. And she drove all the way down just to drop off food for us, and that was huge. That was that was awesome of her. So um, surgery ended up taking a long time. Finally, at about nine o'clock at night, um, they let us go back there and see him. Surgery was a success. Blah blah blah. Um, Earlier in the day when they told me that uh, James was going to have his spleen removed, I was like, okay, well, when you remove it, can you, like, put it in a jar or something? Because I guarantee you James is going to want to see it. I want to see it. I don't know what a spleen looks like normally, but I'd like to see an exploded one. And, of course, they threw it away. They didn't bother showing it to us. So we go back in there and we see James. First thing he asks is, where was the spleen? What does it look like? Well, the fuckers threw it away. I don't know. Um, and then next thing he asked is, you know, where's mom? Where's dad? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, mom is in the waiting room. They only let a couple of us come back at a time. Um, haven't got a hold of dad yet. Figured he was up in Idlewild or something like that where he doesn't have very good cell phone reception. Um, but really, I kind of had a, a more of a bad feeling. Because our dad had been going through some shit, and 
know, I just kind of had a bad feeling. But I told him, you know, I don't know. I'm able to get a hold of him, basically. And so I go out, and my mom goes in and all that. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take off and, you know, go drop my grandma off because her car is still over at the other hospital. And, okay, okay. So um, I drop my grandma off, and I tell her I'm going to go up to my dad's house and, you know, just make sure he's not home. Make sure, you know, there's – not something stupid going on. So I uh, I go, and on the way up, I call one of my dad's best friends, Todd, and I'm like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to my dad's house. I haven't been able to get a hold of him all day. My brother had surgery. You know, it's it's kind of – I'm kind of worried about him. So I'm going to go by the house. I was wondering if you'd be willing to meet me there. And he's like, yeah, sure. I, you know, I hope he didn't do something stupid because – Todd knows the shit that my dad had been going through and all this and that. So um, we get there. I We both get there about the same time. And all the lights are off at my dad's house. You know, porch light, everything, which makes me think that, you know, he's out of town. Uh, his truck and his Jeep are there. Um, Harley's usually in the garage, so I, I had no idea if it was there or not. But I'm like, all right, well, you know. Everything's pointing to him being on the Harley, going up to Idlewild or wherever he's at. No big deal. But um, I don't have a key to his house at this point because he just had his house rekeyed because of a psychotic ex-girlfriend. So um, we uh, we walk over to the lockbox on his porch, um, and I see a light flickering in his bedroom. So we walk over there and we can look through his window and we see the TV's on his in his bedroom. And we look over and he's laying in bed. I go, oh, all right, that's weird. So I start banging on the glass, taking a flashlight, shining it on him, and nothing. He's not waking up. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, shit, you know, I hope, hope he didn't do something fucking stupid. Like, you know, whatever. I, I don't even want to think about it at this point. But he's got this psychotic ex-girlfriend who has already been trying to fuck his life up. You know, what if she did something? So rather than, you know, potentially breaking into the house and ruining a possible crime scene or something, we uh, we called police. And the uh, Ramona Sheriff's Department comes over and they go in and they check the house, they clear it, um, there's no signs of forced entry or anything, nothing bad, I'm like, alright, alright, um, and then, I'll never forget this until the day I die, the chick cop comes over to me, and she's like, oh, are you Jake Farley? I guess I am, she's like, Okay, Jake. Well, it is what you thought it was. He's dead. Just like that. Those are her exact words. It is what you thought it was. He's dead. That's how she broke it to me that my dad had passed away. And I I was more pissed at the officer for telling me it that way right off the bat. And then after a couple seconds it sank in that my dad was gone and 
so you know, thank God Todd and Trisha were there with me because um, I kind of started losing my shit. And then, you know, I went in and I saw him and he's laying there in his bed. And um, I ended up having to call my grandma and my mom. And, you know, I tried calling everybody to let them all know that he was gone. But <clears throat> um, I could not, we could not tell my brother because he just had his abdomen cut open and he had all the stitching inside of him and all that type of stuff. And if he potentially cried, there was a potential of those stitches ripping open inside of him. So we asked his doctor and stuff like that, and they said it will be a couple of days before you can tell him. And so this was on a Saturday night that it happened. Um, I... Remember going to his room the next day, the next morning, and first thing he said is, "You know, what's up with dad?" And like, I don't know. I told him he'll get a hold of him. You know, it's Sunday. He should be coming back. He's probably on the bike now. You know, we'll find out later. And then you know, come Monday, I'm in there again. Like, what's up with dad? I don't know, man. I don't know. I. I can't tell you. I had to sit there and lie to my brother for four days. I had to sit there and lie to him and not be able to tell my older brother that our dad was gone. And that was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, then finally, we were able to break it to him. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. And, First thing, first thing he said was, you know, like, you found him talking to me. Like, yeah, yeah, I did. And so um, fast forward, I don't know, a couple months, uh, we get the death certificate for our dad. And it has it listed on there as a suicide. And I what the fuck you mean suicide? That, that's weird. So my my aunt, my dad's sister, calls and they're like, she's like, you know, what makes you think this is a suicide? What makes you not think that somebody else did it or you know it was a natural thing? You know why why you got to go to suicide? Why what's up with that? And the officer's like, well he left a note. And she's like, left a note? What note? We didn't see any note. There's nobody gave us a note. We never signed anything like that. Come to find out, he had left a note, but the coroner lost it. So when I went to, you know, claim the body and uh, sign the paperwork for his release to the mortuary and all that type of stuff, the coroner had lost my dad's suicide note. And it took about a month for them to find it. And then they finally did, and they gave it to us. And so we got together, and that's when, you know, we read the note, and it all kind of kind of came together. He, uh, My dad committed suicide the, on Friday, and 
we I found his body Saturday night. And for a very, very long time, I blamed myself a lot for it because I was supposed to go to uh, go over to his house after school on that Thursday before. And I felt that, you know, I didn't go this time. And had I have gone, you know, maybe I would have seen something. Maybe I could have said something. Maybe I could have done something that would have made him not take his own life. And instead, I decided to go to the desert. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to believe that it was something he'd been planning. I thought it was something that just was for the moment thing. And I blew my chance at saving my dad's life. And it was, it was very hard for me to get over that until, uh, I, I had to go to therapy and things like that. And come to find out on the Monday beforehand, he took one of his really good friends out for lunch and spent some time with him. He had, uh, been spending time with, Todd and Trisha. He took my brother and one of uh, my dad's best friends out. He took his uh, mom out. All all that stuff in the week leading up to it. He had just been spending time with the people who meant most to him. So, you know, he it was something he was planning. He he expected it. He there was there was no changing his mind essentially. Um, that was that was hard for me to come to terms with. And. You know, even though I know that, I still kind of feel like maybe I could have done something, but I I don't know. It um it was very it was a very difficult thing to go through. But you know, um, suicide is is not something that's ever easy. Um, he uh he had a really bad. Uh, addiction to painkillers. Um, he had had a really bad back. He had compressed vertebrae and stuff like that, and he'd become addicted to painkillers. And we all kind of knew he was taking a lot of painkillers, but we didn't really think it was that bad. He had told us that he was trying to take less of them, but coming to find out, he was taking even more than ever. And he just made himself a little pill cocktail drank it, went to sleep, and never woke up, <clears throat> and so, he, uh, yeah, he, um, his, his painkiller addiction was, you know, it was what, it was, it's what did him in, and it was partially, he had a psychotic ex-girlfriend, who I still fully blame for it, but, um, you know, where he was, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't gonna be able to get the medication that he had been getting, and so he decided to be easier, better to take his own life than to try and live with the pains that he had, and, you know, sometimes it's emotional pain, sometimes it's physical pain, in this case, my dad's back pain was so bad that he didn't feel that he could live without medication. He, was, he just become so addicted to it and so 
used to how it made him feel that he couldn't go on. Um, yeah, it, uh, <clears throat> that was, that was a rough, rough patch for sure. Um, you know, suicide doesn't make anything easier for anyone. It, you know, I, I've taken part in the suicide walk every year since, and we, we walk, uh, we just walked this last year at the one down, um, my girlfriend and I walked in it at the one down at Liberty Station, um, and, and I'm going to put the, uh, the link to the suicide awareness hotline thing in the description for this. And, you know, if you're, if you're contemplating that, you know, give them a call. They're professionals, you know, just talk to them. They'll figure it out. Um, don't ever think that people don't, won't care. Don't ever think people won't notice because we do, we will. Um, you know, shit, just talk to someone, there's, no matter what, someone will always listen, you know, if you don't want to call that number, which you really should, you know, there's links to emailing or texting or whatever, whatever you want to do with it, there's, there's always someone that'll listen, and so... Just uh, yeah. If you're in if you're in that moment, just uh, just make that call. Talk to someone. Cause no matter what, I would give every single thing in my life up just to have my dad back. And the way he went, it's not fair. It's not fair to us. It's not fair to him. But um. Yeah, so, uh, anyways, um, I guess we can kind of, oh no, I want to keep talking about that a little bit, I want to talk about the painkiller things, because ever since then, I've sworn off taking painkillers, I refuse to take painkillers no matter what, I've gone to the hospital with torn ligaments in my legs, I've gone to the hospital with ruptured tendons, I've been in serious, serious pain, and I refuse to take painkillers, 100% refuse to take them, and that's because they're ridiculously addictive, they are pointless, they're bad for you, they, you know, obviously they can kill you, um, plenty of people I know have, you know, got addicted to them and had to go to rehab for painkillers, and you know, doctors just keep fucking writing prescriptions for them, all willy-nilly, just fucking putting them out there because they don't give a shit. You know, I went to the doctor because I had uh, torn the, both meniscus in my uh, my left knee. I went, saw my doctor, which on my file it says, you know, do not prescribe painkillers. He, I refuse painkillers. He wrote me a 30 day, uh, or 30 pill prescription for Oxycontin. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to 
take these. Like, why the fuck do you even write this? Like, oh, well, you know, just in case, whatever. And then I went and saw a sports medicine doctor to uh, get his opinion. And he did the same thing. He wrote me a prescription for 45 pills of uh, Vicodin. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to take these. I told you beforehand I don't take painkillers. Oh, well, you know, just in case. And this was only like two weeks apart. So within two weeks, I had a prescription for 75 painkillers. Then I went and had an MRI done. It was probably a month or so later. And that's when they saw that both meniscus are torn. And that they wrote me another prescription for another 30 Vicodin. And I, this is the fucking issue. Like, the, these things are super addictive, and doctors aren't helping any by fucking just writing prescriptions for them. I tell them I don't want them, and they still do it. I can only imagine somebody who does take them. They, they're like, okay, well, the doctor said to do this, so I'm going to do it. And before you know it, they're hooked on them, and, you know, it's just, it's just a vicious cycle. Then you got, you know, things like uh, marijuana that are healthy. They relieve, it relieves pain. It helps fight cancer. It has all these great things. It's not addictive. And aside from all the health benefits you get from it, you can make plants or you can make a paper out of it. You can do all this crazy shit with it. You know, even if you take the the part of the plant out that gets you high and just use the CBD oil, that shit is healthy for you. That shit helps with pain. It helps with pulled uh, ligaments and tendons or whatever, you know, pulled muscles. And that shit's illegal. It's fucking ridiculous. You have these highly addictive, deadly fucking pills that they just write willy-nilly, but you can't fucking take something that God made to make us feel better. You know, I I don't smoke because I can't because of my job. Um, but it's absolutely fucking ridiculous that I can't because, you know, it's, it helps people fall asleep when they have insomnia. It helps people with eating disorders like anorexia to where they uh, can start eating. It helps... Uh, people with glaucoma and other things like that. It helps uh, alleviate pain. Uh, there's all these ridiculous benefits to it. And still, they're like, no, no, you can't do that. that. That's not good. All because some jackass in like the fucking 60s or something like that just decided that it was bad. It's fucking retarded. Sorry for the hard R. I didn't mean that. Uh, it's ridiculous. But, um, yeah. it Smoking marijuana or taking CBD or whatever is by far a way better option than painkillers. And the fact that employers still try and uh, use that as an excuse to fire you if you get hurt or... Use that as an excuse to fire you for any reason, really. It is ridiculous. You know, I know here in California, it is legal for recreational use, but it's still up to the employer 
to use it as something that they can fire you over as a drug, which is dumb. You know, they they have these tests now for when you're driving that can tell if you smoked in the last hour or two hours or whatever. I don't know exactly what the time frame is on it, but they can pretty much tell about how long it's been since you smoked. So why can't somebody smoke on the weekend or, you know, when they're on their personal time smoke? And then why does that have to affect what they do at work two, three days later, a week later, whatever? You know, they're not high when they're at work. So what the fuck does it matter that what they did on their personal time like that? It's not illegal in the state of California. Yeah, it's still federally illegal, but that's, you know, whatever. It, I don't know. It's it's dumb. It it's really dumb, and, and it really bothers me. Um. So, I guess a happy ending to that story. Uh, my brother did make a full recovery, and he did end up being fine. Um, you know, he doesn't have a spleen anymore, but he went back to work, and you know, he's all good to go. He's got a pretty red scar up his stomach from it. Um, then, uh, three years later to the weekend, to the weekend, president's weekend, three years later, 2015, um, we're back out of the desert. Uh, me, James, Anthony, and Mike Ish were out riding. James's quad broke, uh, so he didn't, he was just going to hang out at camp. Um, we had a spare bike at the time, so, all right, yeah, hop on the bike, you know, let's go for a ride. All right, cool. We're out at Gordon's Well this time, and we, uh, we get up over where the sand drags are into the flats before the dunes. James just goes to kind of throw the back end of the bike out, just digging around. It hooks up, flips over, and James, you know, He's right in front of me when it happens. And I'm pretty sure he got knocked out for a second. Bike landed on top of him. He just laid there. Um, Anthony went and got Rangers. Or I think Mike went and got Rangers. James and Anthony stayed. Or uh, me and Anthony stayed with James. And um, this uh, this dude who's a says he's a firefighter or first responder of some kind. I think I'm pretty sure it was a firefighter comes and he's checking James out. Um, the foot peg or the handlebar dug into James's leg, so he had a pretty nice little gouge in his leg. Um, <clears throat> firefighter feels him up, doesn't feel any major broken bones or you know anything like that. He's he's all right. Uh, Ranger ends up coming. They put him on the plank, take him on the uh, buggy over to where it's paved and put him in the ambulance and take him to Yuma's hospital. So we, uh, we go back to camp, um, load all the bikes up. Uh, Anthony goes home. Uh, Mike Ish and I ride together over to Yuma. Um, we pull in and go in there and they let us go back to see him and turns out James broke his back. He blew out his T6 vertebrae. So 
he's not paralyzed or anything like that, but they can't do the surgery there. They have to get into Phoenix. Well, it's storming, lightning and thunder, monsoon stuff. So he uh, they have to take him by ambulance over there. So um, we can't go to Phoenix. We got it. Yeah, we just can't go. So we go home. Um, they end up putting a couple rods in James's back and all this and that. And with that, James uh, still goes to the desert. Well, he still did. He, um, but now he's in a Polaris Razor. He has a roll cage around him. He's not allowed to be on quads anymore. <laughs> but um, through all that, you know, I still go to the desert. Um, I'm a little more cautious when I go, definitely. Uh, we still go out. We still go camping. We still do all that type of stuff. Um, my brother now lives in Milwaukee. He got a job out there, so he's living out there, so he's not going to the desert anymore, but, um, I still live here in San Diego. I got a very good job, thanks to the experience that my dad gave me with electrical and all that type of stuff. He, he, uh, he definitely shook. Uh, shaped me into the person I am today, and I have a, a great career now, and I uh, work for the county of San Diego, so I'm fucking stoked on that. Then, you know, I've dealt with some pretty gnarly stuff. Um, my mom has had a heart attack. She's, had, she's a two-time cancer survivor. She... Um, Currently has type 2 diabetes. Um, my dad committed suicide. It'll be seven years in just about a month. Um, my, you know, I've, I've had to deal with my share of hardships for sure, but, you know, just got to keep on keeping on. Um, so, yeah, basically that's, uh, that's my story. Um, coming up on future podcast episodes, I will be having, um, uh, people like former musicians, um, restaurant owners, um, I have a few friends that have built their own businesses from the ground up, be having them on, um, we have people who are not the musicians, but they are the ones who book people for playing particular shows or events, venues, whatever it is. I'm going to have them on to talk. Um, got a few friends that work in radio, a few friends that you know, can do whatever. Basically, just like I said, regular people, just find out their story, what got them to where they are, what hardships they've had to go through, how they've overcome it, how they had to deal with it, and yeah. Just uh, hopefully you guys get something out of these where maybe you're dealing with something similar. Maybe you're you want to start a business, but you've been holding back. Maybe you've been contemplating suicide. Hopefully you hear this and it it makes you think the other way around it. Maybe you know try and get some help. Try and figure out another way. You know, um, we'll 
be dealing with whatever whatever issues people have come across. Um, it could be suicide. It could be harassment. It could be um, autism. It could be MS. It could be whatever. You know, just whatever issues somebody has that they've overcome that they haven't let keep them down. They still gone for their goals. They've done whatever it took. You know, that's that's what I hope for out of this is to give voices heard and get people willing to do things. All right. Well, that concludes the first episode. Thank you all very much for listening, and hopefully the episodes from here on out are a lot better. <laughs>